When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Who said international football was boring? England 3, Germany 3 last night in the Nations League after an explosive second half. The three Lions came roaring back, but they couldn't finish the job in their final showing before the World Cup. Are they ready to take on Iran, Wales and the USA in Qatar? It won't be long until we find out. Harry Maguire played for England last night and a Manchester United teammate has said that Maguire receives criticism on a scale he's never before seen in football. So we ask, is the stick he's been getting a little bit over the top? And Bournemouth is still managerless, but a familiar face is being tipped in the papers to take charge of the Cherries. More on that a little bit later. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from Sports Social. New episodes each and every day of the season. My name's Niall and Marley Anderson is here today. All right, Marley? Good morning. And Joel Tudor's here as well. Hello, fella. Hi, mate. You all right? Very well, thank you. And I said at the top of the show that who said international football was boring, and that was me on yesterday's podcast. <laughs> I didn't hold back. I wasn't really too hey, bothered about watching England. You've got a very good point. <laughs> no yeah, well, one could argue after that first 45. Well, it's funny you say that, Marley, <laughs> because England 3, Germany 3 last night in the Nations League, I turned on the TV at the exact moment that Ilkay Gundogan's penalty rippled the back of the net and it made it 1-0 to Germany, and I was thinking, oh, here we go. And then I watched another five minutes, and then Kai Havertz has smashed the ball in the top corner. <laughs> uh, brilliant goal at Wembley, and I thought, right, that's enough for me. But England came steaming back into the game. The response to going 2-0 behind was very impressive. So as much as I said, Marley, that international football is boring and England are boring, that second half last night certainly wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the odds were on the game finishing at 3-3 at 0-0 at half-time. Like, mm. I don't know uh, how that happened, to be fair. But it was almost like England just went, well, you know, when they went 2-0 down, it was like something just clicked and they went, right, we're not having this. Like, we're finally, the shackles have to come off now because we've got nothing to lose. We can't let another damaging defeat go, uh, just sort of run us over. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to see some, some response because... 
that's what this England England team can do. You know, three goals in was it 12, 12 minutes, and they were running away with the game, and it was only for a you know a mistake by Nick Pope at the end that they uh, that they blew it. But you know, the the signs are there that there is talent in this squad, but it's obviously frustrating um, to have to sit through forty five minutes of of absolutely dour stuff. Um, and then you know, funnily enough, the game changed when um, when Saka come on and played in his correct position, not left wing back. Came on, played right wing, tore tore Germany to shreds in his little twenty minute cameo. So cameo, sorry. So it's just sort of proof that that it's there, the talent's there. You've just got to unlock it, and mm. you know the next game is in the World Cup in eight weeks' time. I think we kick off against Iran, don't we? So yep. you know we can't be turning in that sort of dour stuff again and. Hopefully we can see more of that second half performance than we did uh, against Germany. Yeah, I mean, England should be beating Iran, Wales and the United States with no disrespect to any of those nations, particularly considering they've been up against tougher teams in tournaments in recent years and indeed the Nations League. Italy and Germany are a better side than any of the teams I mentioned before that are in England's World Cup group. But looking at some of the reactions to the way England have been playing, I think Iran, America... And Wales will all fancy their chances of turning this England team over. And they need to be wary of that. I wanted to pick up on Harry Kane because I've seen actually quite a lot of criticism for Harry Kane on social media. And I was watching the game last night and someone said to me who I was watching it with that Harry Kane looks slow and cumbersome. I'd agree with that, but he always seems to score goals. And that's his job as a striker. And he was absolutely dead eye from the spot. Ice cold, perfect penalty, smashed it into the top corner left Ter Stegen no chance, and that put England 3-2 ahead. I suppose from an England perspective, Joel, it's nice to have a penalty taker you can feel confident in. Well, especially for England. I mean, that's been the whole bane of the nation for the last 60-odd years. So I think with Kane, I understand it in the sense that sometimes I feel when the build-up play is happening, he seems to get a little bit lost in it all, or maybe the players just aren't finding him because it's so congested in the middle. But if you think of him not in the team the forward line suddenly looks so toothless because, you know, even though I really like Tammy Abraham, I don't think he's ready to lead an England line or uh, Ivan Tony, who's not yet had a chance. The drop down is massive from Harry Kane because let's not forget, he's the uh, golden boot holder from the World Cup in 2018. And considering when you look at the previous England teams and how lacklustre they've been, I mean, I loved, uh, Rooney's one of my favourite players of all time, but apart from that 2004 Euros, he didn't really score many uh, tournament goals. It can be said for the the rest of the England team, they just didn't rise to the occasion. And when you have a player on your national team who rises to the international occasion and scores the big goals like he did in the Euros against Germany, um, against was it Swiss, uh, Denmark in the semi-finals, like these are the no matter where he is in the game, I don't really care if he gets lost in the build-up as long as he's putting the the goals in like he's done for Tottenham. That's what you need in in a forward man. Sometimes I remember Rooney saying that he hated playing up front because he never got involved in the game as much as when he was able to drop back and you know spray balls out to the left and right. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you don't get a touch. I mean, when you look at Erling Haaland, um, when all those stats were flying around of how he had what twelve touches, thirteen touches in a whole game, nobody cares when you're winning games with your goals. That's the point blank. What's the what's the point of a striker? They're the ones who get paid the big top dollar because they're the ones who win your trophies. And if they don't touch the game for the majority of it, that's fine as long as he can find the net and, like you say, a penalty 
everyone thinks, oh, it's a penalty, you know, should be scoring it. Well, actually, no, because when you look at the national team of England, they struggled massively when it comes to penalties, especially in a pressured environment like a, a major tournament. So, yeah, I feel like whoever's on Harry Kane's back needs to really just take a little bit of perspective because without him our forward line drops down massive levels, not just in his goal-scoring ability, but in his playmaking ability too. I totally agree with that. And I remember watching some penalty takers for England over the years, Frank Lampard, Rooney, and of course, David Beckham. I've never felt more confident with a player in an England shirt taking a penalty than I have with Harry Kane. I remember a game at Old Trafford last season where Spurs played Manchester United. I remember Tottenham having a penalty in that game Harry Kane took it and I was right in line with the penalty spot. And I've never been more sure in my life that someone was going to score a penalty. Is that because De Gea was in net though? (laughs) I think he scored like one penalty (laughs) in his last 50. Well, I mean, Tish Dagan's a pretty good keeper and Harry Kane just completely took him out of the game with that penalty. He couldn't have been any more top corner than that. Top left across his body. Great goal. Another great performance last night for me was Jude Bellingham. We said that, you know, he might be a star to Mali for England in the World Cup against the team that naturally he would have wanted to do well against Germany, seeing as he's a Borussia Dortmund player and he probably had a few mates on the opposition lineup last night. Again, another accomplished performance from him and maturity beyond his years. Yeah, he was uh, he was the standout, wasn't he? I think he's he's impressive every time he gets played in his, his best position for England for for an extended period of time. He's, he's never, that I can remember, had, had sort of a really quiet game. You always look at him and go, Christ, he's... He's a real deal, this lad, and you know mm. what is he? Eighteen, nineteen years old, something like that. So, it's it's good that he he played against players that he's played against. You know what I mean? But you you play him against Germany because he plays in in the same league as most of them, and that kind of lends itself to what I was saying yesterday about why is Tamori not playing against Italy when he's marking the same players all this time? So, it kind of proves that if you if you give them the the right opportunities, you can get good performances out of them, but. It just made the uh, the Jude Bellingham hype level go to uh, go to a, a sort of another level because you know we all know that there's going to be a huge free for all uh, for his services in the summer, um, and it'll be a case of uh, who's who can put the best, most attractive package together to to get him because he's just taking everything in his stride at the minute, and you know we want to do want to see him in the uh, in the Premier League if we can. So mm. it'll be uh, it'll be if sort of. <laughs> like meetings everywhere at Liverpool and Man City and maybe Chelsea as well of, uh, of who can uh, put something together to uh, to be able to afford him. Liverpool and Real Madrid are the two clubs linked for Jude Bellingham next summer in the papers today. You can hear a little bit more about Jude Bellingham from a Borussia Dortmund perspective as well on yesterday's episode of Shots from Football Social Daily. It's our short bite-sized podcast to go along with this full Football Social Daily episode. Brian Straub, a Borussia Dortmund fan, who lives in America, has been given his insight on Jude Bellingham and his future, whether it be at Dortmund or in the Premier League, and just exactly what he brings to the table. So scroll up on the timeline if you're listening on the Football Social Daily feed to listen to that episode of Shots from yesterday. Right, continuing with England, what we need to consider is that it could have been three points for England, even though they've already been relegated from their Nations League group, had it been for a mistake at the end from Nick Pope. What did you make of that, first of all? And does it take much of a gloss off of the game and the performance? In all honesty, for me, what I was looking for is not the points. The points are regardless. Um, it's, it's pointless for me. But it, I'm looking for more so in terms of the performance and the reaction more than anything. 
because I think when Germany went 2-0 up, you just sense that the crowd was starting to get a little bit pessimistic towards the side. Uh, there were more rumblings. The stadium went dead quiet. It looked like you know totally flat, dead rubber game after that. And then suddenly, within two minutes, they managed to muster up a quick goal and a quick re- response. And suddenly, the momentum started flowing through the England side. And I think that is something that the England side can take going to the World Cup because the previous two games... Honestly, it was like watching like a boxing sparring session of amateurs where nothing's really going on and they can't really land many punches. It was like a testimonial pace. And then when you looked at this one, it felt so competitive in the last 15 minutes. And that's what I don't understand with these, let's say, glorified friendlies. They're friendlies for a reason to test out your team, test out passage of play. So I don't get why teams are so scared to potentially concede goals or scared to open up. Because we saw in the last 15 minutes, Germany and England opened up massively, where they were really going blow for blow and um, trying to actually create a little bit of momentum in their play rather than having to go defensive first all the time. And I think if there's any positive... England fans can take from this game is that there is definitely still fight in the England side because I was worried in the last four or five games you know after that hungry 4 nilla, the game in Milan where it was a bit lacklustre I was wondering is there any fire in that in the England in, in the England side anymore because as we saw in all the tournaments where they did really well obviously didn't win it but where they did much better than in previous years they showed a lot of fight just the fundamentals were there, which had been missing in previous England sides. And I think regardless of what happened in these games in the last five, you have to always take them with a pinch of salt with the perspective that is a friendly. The motivation levels are never, ever, ever going to be what you expect in a major tournament. I remember when the England side faced you know, the likes of Ecuador and these kind of cl- uh, countries prior to tournaments and they finished 2-2 or you know they lost 2-1. They have no relevance when it comes to the tournaments because players come out of the shells and a lot of them make a name for themselves when they get to the major tournaments that's just the way it is when you've got all eyes on you I think you go up a level or you go down a level and shrink regard um, depending on who what type of character you are so I think for me it was just the case of reaction and even though it finished 3-3 I mean sure Nick Pope I don't think sorry Marley but I don't think he's England's number one mm. I can't wait for Picky to get back <laughs> in the I, side and... well yeah let's, let's, let's hear what you say Marley because do you think that that mistake last night did kind of solidify Jordan Pickford as the number one for England, if there had been any doubts anyway? I, I don't think there was any doubts in um, in Southgate's mind anyway, because Pickford's not made any mistakes for England, I don't think, and we all know he's uh, he's very loyal to his um, to the lads who haven't let him down. That's why there's you know Maguire's playing and, and probably Luke Shaw as well. Um, so I, I don't think Pickford was ever in doubt. Um, however, I also think that the the slight mistake that Pope makes may see Ramsdale now become number two again. Right. Um, if Pickford doesn't go, so oh, sorry, if Pickford like doesn't recover from his uh, from his injury in time for the World Cup. Well, which, I would say that about should, but... Nick Pope though is he's not the sort of character to me that seems someone who isn't reliable. Whereas I always yeah. feel that Pickford and Ramsdale, just in the nature of the way they both play the game, can be erratic, a bit scatty, and sometimes make an error. I mean, I've seen firsthand this season Aaron Ramsdale make poor errors and recover from them or have to scramble back to recover from them. Jordan Pickford, we know, can make a mistake and sometimes loses his head a bit, whereas Nick Pope doesn't feel like that sort of character. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting, really, because if you look at England's last uh, last few games, you know, Pope's had his chance and made a, made a mistake albeit you know a fairly 
basic one sort of thing. And in the last games, Ramsdale had an absolute shocker when he got a chance uh, in the two games in uh, in June against Hungary and uh, was it uh, was it Italy as well? I can't remember now. Um, but he was he was crapping them games. So I wonder if Dean Henderson might get a chance because if mm. the, if the um, if if you're sort of going by right, he's had a chance and made a mistake, and he's had a chance and made a mistake. The next time that comes around, the next time we pick a squad, it's a World Cup squad. So how much do those mistakes uh, play into Southgate's factor? Because if he's picking Pickford, you only pick two more keepers, and you got three to choose from, with Pope, Ramsdale, and Henderson, all uh, all sort of vying to be number two, basically. Um, but on Pope, like when when he was coming to Newcastle in in the summer. I actually didn't didn't want Pope because I thought his his kicking and his distribution and his sort of sweeper keeper style just won't suit. It doesn't suit a high line. You know, if if a ball goes in behind, Nick Pope isn't winning the race to come and get it. He's probably not even beginning the race to come and get it, <laughs> and his distribution's not getting it, um, not getting sort of any better. But since he's played for Newcastle, he hasn't made any mistakes. I don't think. But every time he plays for England, when it when the ball comes to his feet, he just looks a different goalkeeper. He just looks very cumbersome and very flat-footed. Um, I don't know whether it's the nerves or whether he knows he's not quite number one and he's got that confidence at Newcastle where he's came in and then Dubravka's gone on loan, so he's obviously number one. He can relax a bit more. But it's it's a shame for him, to be fair, because I think he's as, as good a goalkeeper as, as Jordan Pickford, but it's, the, it's these fine margins in football with the, mm. you know, the shot bounced horribly in front of him. Gnabry's uh, shot was was a tough one to deal with, but you've got to push that around the post, and then you've you've not put a foot wrong, and you probably win the game three two, and you're the hero type of thing. I would say that he deserves it for wearing short sleeves as a goalkeeper. It's one of them things <laughs> I, I like can't it. stand. I prefer that. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Like I Martinez at Aston Villa does it. Having, him, having uh, short sleeves. Fabian Bartes cool, is no good in I my opinion. Is just, is oh, the only I, one who could pull it off, mm, in my opinion. Don't like it. I don't like it. Long sleeves if you're a keeper, please. Um, anyway, England 3, Germany 3 last night in the UEFA Nations League. England are relegated from their Nations League group. No one really is too bothered about that because everyone is looking ahead to the World Cup in Qatar, which is now... I'm bothered that with... Oh, get on your soapbox. Say your piece before I, we move on. I think the Nations League is disrespected. I think it's a decent tournament. And the the proof will be next year when England start their next Nations League campaign and we're playing... Sweden, uh, Slovakia, teams like that. Yeah, just middle of the road, Turkey... Sweden. I'm not sure Turkey will be in. No, the they got they got promoted from their group. Did they? Bizarrely, don't know how Luxembourg and the Faroe Islands taking points off them. I don't know how that happened, but um, yeah, like you say, Sweden, Denmark, these these teams who we probably turn up and beat, and then when when we're sat here next year, and we say, oh, we've got an international break next week, and then you look at it and you go, oh god, we're playing Sweden at home, and and then we go away to. Uh, Poland or Wales or something like that, that's going to be less um, tempting and more boring than watching us this year go and play Germany and Italy and, and even Hungary because they're better teams. When you're in League A, you you play good teams and that's what the Nations League does. It, it puts similarly ranked teams together. So the, there's always decent games on, like Croatia versus uh, Denmark the other night. Good game, like a bit of a hipster one. You're not going to sit and watch it unless you're properly into football. But 
as a game, you'd rather watch that than like Germany versus San Marino, and, and it's just a case of how many goals the Germans are going to score and whether hmm. you know whoever can can get on the score sheet. They them them games are pointless, but that they've been replaced now in the Nations League by uh, by better games. But I just think the frustration comes when you're getting into the swing of things in the Premier League, and then you've got to stop for an international break. Because that's when people go, oh God, I'd just rather watch my team at the weekend. I'd rather watch Newcastle or Man City or Man United or whoever it might be. So the Nations League as a as a whole, I, I quite like it. I, I think it's all right. Okay, well that's Marley's thoughts. What are yours? Let us know on social media. At FSD Pod is the Twitter handle. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. You can also join our Telegram chat. Just download the app and then go to the pin tweet on at FSD Pod on Twitter. Click the link and you'll be added straight into the group. Lots of chat in there when the podcast is finished and beyond as well about all football related and Premier League related matters. Right, we're going to keep on the England tact next, but it's also got a bit of a Premier League twist to it because we're going to be discussing Harry Maguire, a name on a lot of people's lips. We'll do it next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Niall. Marley and Joel are with me. And we're going to talk about Harry Maguire now because... A lot of other people have been talking about Harry Maguire over the last 12 to 18 months. His teammate at Manchester United and his England teammate as well, Luke Shaw, has said that Maguire has received more stick than any other player he's seen in football. Of course, the two are teammates, both at club and country, so you'd expect him to stick up for Harry Maguire. But does he have a point, Joel? Because the criticism for Harry Maguire, it has been intense, it has been constant, I can't go a match day in the Premier League without seeing someone tweeting about Harry Maguire for good, for bad, for indifferent. The same for England. What do you make of it all? He's the victim of his own transfer. This is the issue and he'll never, ever get around it. It's almost like United are at blame for it, to be honest, in in some ways I see it because the £80 million price tag is something that he never will be and he never was. But everyone still expects an £80 million defender because when you looked at Virgil van Dijk when he went to Liverpool, he puts in 
75 million pound performances well he did prior to this season I don't know if he'll ever get to that again but he's one of the main reasons and the main catalysts for Liverpool's turnaround uh, for Klopp and then United kind of went down a similar avenue brought Maguire in didn't justify his 80 million price tag whatsoever prior to it but you know United like to overpay and this has been the case ever since really the only difference is that when he started out he actually was justifying his performances really well um the season where united lost the europa league final to sevilla he was one of the best players in the side by a mile um but now he's starting to become or he has become a hindrance for the side it's clear to see i don't like the fact that everyone uses him as a kind of uh scapegoat and just a, a um something to beat down every time just pr- because just because it's harry Maguire, because that isn't fair but you also have to call out when he does make mistakes. And last night he did make mistakes. That's not to say that everyone's just jumping on him because. But what when mistakes someone, did he make then? I mean, I, well, I, I he gave sound a like penalty I'm, away, didn't he? Yeah, I know, but he's a centre back. Second, he's going to give penalties away. You can't expect him to not yeah, but, give away penalties as a centre back. It's going to happen. This isn't an isolated incident, though. This is the issue. And it's evidenced by the fact that Ten Hag isn't wanting his club captain to play for him at the moment. And I trust Ten Hag's opinion right now over majority of people because he's turned United around so far. I get and everything's that. changed since um, he put Martinez and Varane in and took out Maguire. Mm. I I'm do not saying Maguire that. was the issue, by the way. I'm not saying it's all on him because there's major issues. But it feels else. like that, and that's the kind of argument yeah. I think I'm no. trying to make. It does feel like everyone is blaming everything on Harry Maguire, and I get what you're saying about the mistakes, and there have been mistakes, and he has been really poor in the last 12 months. But this is a a guy which you know he's not a bad player Marley you know no. he's, he's still one of England's better centre-backs in my opinion and he's shown for England how good he can be is it just a case of a bit of a vicious cycle he can't get out of because as Joel says you know it's been more than one mistakes but if he's not faultless in every performance the scrutiny is going to be back on him again and it's almost like he has to be completely flawless for a good two or three months before anyone starts taking the spotlight off of him yeah he's um it's the definition of a catch twenty two situation, in in my my opinion, because to get out of bad form, you need to play your way through it, and to play your way through bad form, part of that is making mistakes. Mm. Um, but the thing Harry Maguire has always had and will always have for the rest of his career hanging over him is that he was an eighty million pound defender, yeah. and even if he moves to Everton in the summer for twenty million, he's gonna be. He was once, and then he makes a mistake for everything like next season, for example. People are going to go, this guy was once rated at 80 million quid. He was once the world's most expensive defender. And that's through no fault of his own. You have to have insanely strong mental capacity mm. to deal with that for, for his whole career. Um, but at one point, he, he was he was quality, you know. There is a, still a good defender in there. Um, but like I say, you know, you've got to get, back to that by just doing the basics right if it comes in the channel just smash it out for a throw in and you know don't try and play out from the back play the play the percentages type of thing um last night for for England he you know he gave it away by trying to play out from the back and then he got beat uh you know nutmegged and mm. then to compound the whole thing if it wasn't embarrassing enough getting nutmegged inside <laughs> the, the box the one for me was eclipsed him a cross came into the box from out wide and it was right on his head. There was no one else really that could have been there. And uh, he headed it straight back to where the cross came from instead of heading it out of the box. He just yeah. headed it straight back to who crossed it in. And, that's and he confidence. did apologise, to be fair, after that. But. Yeah, that's just confidence, though, isn't it? Like, 
a confident Harry Maguire would have headed it back to the goalie or out or at least out of play or a really confident Maguire who took it on the chest and belted it clear or mm. built out from the back but he hasn't got any confidence at the minute his, his, uh, his confidence is just on the floor and the only way to build it up off the floor is to keep like I said just doing basic stuff right but yeah. to do that you've got to play games and at the minute the only games Harry Maguire I mean we could be in a situation where the next game Harry Maguire plays is is the World Cup, yeah. But, I mean, he'll, he'll probably get Europa League games for Man United against uh, Sheriff Tiraspol and Ammonia. Real Sociedad and Ammonia Nicosia or whatever it is. So, you know, it's uh, it's not an easy one when you're expecting him to start at centre-back yeah. in the World Cup, especially if John Stones doesn't requi- uh, recover from his, from his hamstring problem. Yeah, John Stones went off last night. Looks like he could miss the Manchester derby this weekend. Of course... When we find out more about that, we'll let you know here on Football Social Daily, but it's unknown about John Stones at the moment. I don't think the argument here, Joel, is whether Harry Maguire has been playing well or not. I think we know that he hasn't been playing well. I think the argument I'm trying to put together here or try and find the answer to is, is it unfair on Harry Maguire, this level of stick? Because Luke Shaw has said he's never seen another player since he's been playing the game that's had as much stick come his way as Harry Maguire has had. He says, Maguire, that he doesn't listen to the noise. But is it unfair on him? Because it must be impacting him personally and probably privately as well in and amongst his family life. There's no way, even though he sits there and says, I don't listen to the papers, I don't listen to the noise. It's one of those things where in modern society, it will always seep into your day-to-day life. Whether you try and block it out or not, it will always be there. People will be talking about it, be in the papers, it be on social media. There is almost no escape from it. So do you think it's unfair on Harry Maguire? Are we getting to a point now where people just need to leave the fella alone? I I do think that, for example, on one side, some of his performances, criticising is justified as long as you're not just trying to find faults every single game. Because I've noticed there were games where he had a quiet game, like, for example, I think that Europa League game not so long ago. He had a decent performance, and yet you just look on social media and he'd make a mistimed pass and suddenly the whole world's crumbling around him and he's the terrible defender again. That's the scenario where I don't agree with. But on the basis of right now and where he is... He's a Manchester United captain. He's always going to have the limelight on him. He's also a really big price-tagged player, which we saw with Paul Pogba. That's not his fault, though, is it? No, I I know, but it just comes with the package of being a a really expensive player. It's not just him. It's happened worldwide. Look at Paul Pogba. I I don't think Graeme Souness would have lumped on him as much if he wasn't an £80 million player, expecting £80 million performances every single game. And as we know, United players, it doesn't matter who you are, you're always going to be under criticism if you're consistently picked and you're consistently giving bad performances. And I just think, in my opinion, I feel as though for Maguire, he is just far more better in a team that is less offensive and less dominating to the point where he doesn't have to build from the back. He's not testing on his ball-playing ability. He's just testing on how good he is defensively with his back against the wall. And from this performance as well, sometimes I'm looking at Gareth Southgate thinking, is it fair to put him in right now? Because one... I'm thinking of Fikayo Tomori, who's a Scudetto winner, Italian champion, had one of the best scenes of his career, and he has to sit on the bench and watch a player who's not played barely any games this season put in a pretty dodgy performance and think, what more do I have to do? How do I get into this side when I'm a champion right now? And then you also have to think, well, 
the performance from Maguire is probably a natural performance when you're coming in against a really good opposition. Germany will be there or thereabouts in the World Cup, I'm sure. And you've not had any consistency in your game time. Of course, you're going to be a little bit lacking match rhythm and you're going to be less confident on the ball because that's what players need. They need consistency in their in their uh, routine. And he's not had that and he won't have that in November. He'll probably play against a couple of Europa League games, like you say, and that's it. Whether that's enough for a World Cup starting centre-back, I don't know because I know for sure that Tamori will be starting every single Serie A game and I know that um, Gehi for Palace will be starting every single Palace game. So this comes down to Southgate as well, of whether he's picking players on pedigree or status. What's the solution then, Joel? Does Harry Maguire leave Manchester United, try and angle for a move away? Because... As long as he's sitting on the bench, people are going to throw that at him and say, well, why is he playing for England when he doesn't even play for Manchester United? When he does play for Manchester United and he does play for England, he gets absolute pelters. So there's no there's no real winning situation for him. And I feel a bit sorry for him, to be honest, because as much as he hasn't been great, and listen, we've all had it in day-to-day life, whether that be in a normal job or even in a sporting capacity, where you're just not up to it for a time, for a period of time or whatever, um... I do feel a bit, I feel sympathy towards him. Um, And people might say, why? Because he's on so much money a week. You know, it's not like he's trying to play badly. And he didn't, uh, he didn't even ask for all that money. That's just the, there's not anyone, there's not a footballer in the world who genuinely thinks his skills on a football pitch are worth 100 grand a week when you put into context normal life. So it's just, uh, it's the beast that's been created, I think. I mean, it almost feels like there's a, there's a witch hunt now where people want him to play badly. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, and I, I don't, agree with I that. Don't want so Ma- I agree easy with target. I don't want Maguire to play badly. I think him playing good benefits England. And, you know, why, why would nobody want that? I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, it's a really interesting debate and you can have your say on Telegram. Let us know by joining the group chat. Just click the link on our pinned tweet on our profile at FSD Pod. Is Harry Maguire getting a rough deal or does he deserve all of the stick that he's getting? Let us know. But we'll leave that one there for now. And we're going to look at some of the back pages of the newspapers next on Football Social Daily. Jude Bellingham's in the papers. There's possibly a new arrival in the Premier League as well next summer. And also a familiar face that could be making a return. We'll talk about it after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final part of today's Football Social Daily podcast. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. Both of this episode of Football Social Daily and Shots, which will be on later. It's a small bite-sized podcast just to round up all of the news in the top flight that you might have missed. And there are new episodes and brand new content right throughout the season, every single day of the campaign and including through the World Cup as well. So you won't want to miss that. But today we're going to look at the back pages and the gossip columns. have got some interesting stuff in there. We've already discussed you, Bellingham, briefly on today's podcast and there's a report here in the German paper Bild which says that Liverpool could be in for him 
but not just a signing from Dortmund, but a swap deal, Marley, with Naby Keita possibly going the other way. He's allegedly wanted by Dortmund. If we said before on the podcast that Liverpool should just go all out and try and sign him no matter what, <laughs> the temptation of a swap deal for Naby Keita, who just can't seem to stay fit for an extended period of time, does yeah. seem even more tempting, don't you think? Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast that we're, it's just about who can put the best package together for, for Jude Billingham because you're probably looking at around or slightly more than 100 million probably mm. for him um, when you take into account his age and his talent and what he's done so far in his career. Um, you're looking at that and, you know, Man City have, have got the money for him. Chelsea have probably got the money for him. Liverpool and Man United maybe as well. But if you look at Liverpool, um, the, yeah, the the make weight of Navi Keita is a big one because he's done it in Germany and he was one of the best players in Germany. That's why he moved to Liverpool for, for 45, 50 million pounds it was, wasn't it? So he's it becomes that little bit easier for Liverpool to, to steal ahead in the race and there's also the undeniable fact that he'd walk into that midfield for the next five or ten years <laughs> because there's Fabinho holding and there's... There's a role for a box-to-box midfielder. Henderson's on his way out. Milner's not going to play that many games anymore. Um, Thiago's alongside him. And can you imagine Jude Bellingham coming in mm. and learning off Thiago? It's not exactly a bad role model. Um, so I think Liverpool are in pole position for him. There's also been the the rumours that they've wanted him for the last couple of years as well, but the uh, the financial um, structure wasn't quite there to, to put anything in place yet. Um so if if you're looking round at who's who's in the best position to do that deal, I think Liverpool are at the minute. Um, and even though they might not want to shell out the the huge fee for him, they've got to make weight. So if you're looking for 120 million as um, as an asking price for Jude Bellingham, and you have let's say Cater is worth 40 million, you're then looking at an outlay of uh, you know, maybe fifty million plus twenty in add-ons if if Liverpool qualify for the Champions League or he plays for England another twenty-five times or whatever it is. Easy little makeweights like that can can drive this price into a a field where Liverpool are more comfortable to pay it. It's not just Liverpool in for Jude Bellingham. Marker, the Spanish publication, say that Real Madrid are making him their top target for next summer. If you're Jude Bellingham, Joel, Real Madrid is attempting offer, but so too is Liverpool. And this is a lad who, only at 19, seems to have his head screwed firmly on his shoulders. If you're Jude Bellingham and you see a choice maybe between Liverpool and Real Madrid, how tough is that going to be to make? I mean, if I'm Jude Bellingham, I'm not even answering Liverpool's call. Come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but actually, you know, when I was speaking with Brian, the Dortmund fan who came on FSD Shots yesterday, he actually made some really good points as to why he might actually stay a little bit longer. And I'm kind of more inclined to think that he will just because he has a big responsibility at Dortmund now, which I didn't even realise. He's now the third choice captain. This season, he'll now be the second choice captain because Marco Royce looks to be out for a little bit longer. I think he had a quite bad injury in one of their uh, Bundesliga games not so long ago. And he's he finds himself now as a big fish in a medium-sized pond at 19. And that's quite a lot of responsibility to feel like one of the more senior players in that side, you know, getting the Champions League goals. They're currently doing really well in the Bundesliga at the moment, uh, trying to strike while the iron's hot, while Bayern is starting to languish behind a little bit. And if he was to go to Liverpool or if he was to go to Real Madrid, he'll find himself as a small fish in a massive pond again. 
where he won't have the same type of responsibility. I mean, it'll be more so at Real Madrid because they have such a talented midfield now, Valverde, uh, Schuermeni, um Camavinga. Camavinga, and then you've got Modric, who looks like he could play for another 10 years at that level, and Tony Crows. I mean, it's stacked. It's absolutely stacked. And I don't think he would get that kind of exposure in the midfield It'll be very competitive, actually. I don't think it would even be guaranteed a start in that midfield because it's ridiculous. And then when you switch over to Liverpool, obviously you've got the pull of the Premier League. He'll be closer to family in Birmingham. Um, and he'll obviously be 100% a starter with Jordan Henderson going out and being next to Thiago. He'll be 100% a sure fit and have probably a little bit more responsibility, potentially future captain material in that Liverpool side. And I think for me... If I take like a totally partial view on it, uh, impartial view on it, sorry, I feel like Liverpool is probably the better choice. Because if you take out the glamour and glitz of Real Madrid, which I'm sure is so tempting as a footballer, and you'll probably have way more success with Real Madrid, maybe you can create a little bit better of a like a legacy and a career for yourself if you become the talisman in the Liverpool midfield because they, they do need a revamp in their big time. Um, but I mean, the Madrid pull is just, it's a different kind of knock when Madrid come calling, don't they? And they have the money to do it for sure. Um, but I feel as though for his career and for where he's going and if he wants a similar type of responsibility, I do think that Liverpool will be the case but I don't think he'll go next summer I do agree with what Brian was saying So those are the two clubs that are said to be interested in Jude Bellingham I'm sure there are more than two to be honest with you Liverpool and Real Madrid are those two clubs Let's move on though and talk about another club this time a Premier League side who don't have a manager and that is AFC Bournemouth they are struggling at the moment but they sacked Scott Parker didn't they after the 9-0 loss to Liverpool and then Gary O'Neill took temporary charge and was actually nominated for Manager of the Month award for September in the Premier League after a victory over Nottingham Forest and a draw against Newcastle United. But it looks like Middlesbrough boss Chris Wilder is the leading candidate to take over as the new Bournemouth manager. That's if you believe the Daily Mail. But no appointment will be made until the club is sold. A £150 million takeover by an American businessman is in the offing. Let's start with the first part of that, Marley. Chris Wilder, currently the manager of Middlesbrough. Bournemouth, do you think that's a tempter for him? Someone who managed in the Premier League with Sheffield United, did very, very well with Sheffield United. In the end, it didn't work out as they got relegated back to the Championship. Bournemouth now, a club also struggling. What do you make of this link? Uh, it's an interesting one because I I kind of expected um, Bournemouth to, to have a manager uh, lined up when they sacked um, uh, Scott Parker. So... I think with with Wilder, he's got that like uh, pull factor. You know, Sheffield United did very well the first season. They probably didn't spend enough to stay in the league and um, and have a genuine shot at it. The only thing thing I would think is, and it's maybe it's a bit trivial to be honest, but he's a northerner, isn't he? He's a northern boy. Sheffield, born and bred. Now he's at another sort of working class club in in Middlesbrough. That that fits him. I think that that grit and that. That fighting sort of style to get out the championship fits him. Uh, it's a big move to go down to Bournemouth and, let's be honest, probably get relegated and be mm. where he is now in a year's time. So he's at the top of the championship with Middlesbrough right now. In a year's time, w- could he save Bournemouth? Maybe. But he's only got the January transfer window to improve them and then he's got to work with what he's got. You know, I I could see it being... 
if it was the 27th of September 2023 rather than 2022 right now, um, I would say Chris Wilder would be at the top of the championship with Bournemouth, whereas now at, at the minute he's top of the championship with Middlesbrough. So is it not better to stay and get promoted with Middlesbrough? And then if, if they don't achieve promotion, maybe move on in the summer and say, and see what's available in the summer because the, there's always going to be clubs looking at Chris Wilder because he did he did a good job at, at Sheffield United, took him from League One to the uh, to the Premier League, kept him there, got him within sniffing distance of a European spot. Um, and then obviously the wheels came off in the second season to uh, to a certain extent, but there's always going to be uh, mm. suitors there for the for the style of football he played. I like what you're saying about the fact that Bournemouth is as far south as you can get in the Premier League, <laughs> and he's a northern guy from Sheffield, and Middlesbrough is not exactly that far to get to from Sheffield. I, I like what you're saying, but Middlesbrough at the moment, 22nd in the Championship. That's, Are they? That's the relegation zone. I thought they were top. Are they? Am I looking at the wrong table? Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure they're at the top. One of you is massively wrong here. <laughs> ten games, ten points. Sheffield United are top of the championship. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Sheffield, Sheffield United. Sheffield United are top. His old club are top. But Middlesbrough are ah, 22nd. They're okay. in the relegation zone. So does that change anything, Joel, do you think? That Middlesbrough are looking a little bit dicey at the moment. And is it a better switch for Chris Wilder? I mean, I personally don't think this one will happen, by the way. I think that Bournemouth might go for someone else. But this is what the newspapers are saying. It's... It's an easy one on paper because obviously when a Premier League club comes in for you and your team isn't performing the best, I mean, it's a pretty easy decision to make, isn't it? When you've got potential uh, Premier League status, a new owner coming in potentially that could have money available to you as well in January because obviously the last owner, I feel like that was one of the main reasons why Scott Parker struggled so much because he just had zero funds available to him and he basically had a championship side playing in the Premier League. But... I think um, I'm just I'm just interested to see what the new owner's take of it is going to be if it actually goes through because another American owner you think he wants to be quite ambitious when he comes in and Chris Wilder is proven in the Premier League especially with that Sheffield United side in I think it was what 2018 where he got them to eighth in the table that was and then obviously they dropped off I don't know how they dropped off so massively in that next season but to have a promoted side and then finish in that position is pretty commendable. But honestly, I'm still thinking Sean Dyche is there. He's waiting in the wings in some pub in Nottingham, wherever he is, just waiting on that call to come in. And I'm still surprised that no one's done it. But I think whatever manager gets sacked next, he will be the guy and the go-to guy that they'll go to. But I think he might end up weighing up his options as well. I don't think he's going to really start pinging into his phone exactly when someone wants him and go straight to it. I think he's got room to actually decide for himself because as we've seen he lasted at Burnley for what nearly a decade that's a long time in football these days so I think I think he'll be the next big choice. So according to the Daily Mail Chris Wilder is the leading candidate to take over the vacant Bournemouth job but not until a £150 million takeover of the club is completed. By the way a hundred and 50 million pounds mm-hmm. I'm staggered I'm staggered what does that make Pompey worth? 300 million with <laughs> Newcastle 600 million what do you think 150 is too much for a Premier League club? I think 150 is too much for Bournemouth it's a Premier League club Been in so? five years they won't be in a year's time when they're down out. in the Championship yeah but then still in the last 10 years they've been in the Premier League for, for 6 years of it how can it be worth 150 million quid? 
Is it just because they're in the Premier League? Yeah. Because Premier, their stadium yeah. is 11,000 capacity. Yeah. They've got the tiniest fan base in the division. <laughs> they're probably going to go down again. Yeah. I think the owner, Maxim Demin, the guy who currently owns the Cherries, yeah. is getting a proper good deal here. 150 million quid. Yeah. Well, Newcastle was worth 300 million. Yeah. Newcastle were more than double the size of the club that Bournemouth are, with no disrespect. If we take divisions out of it and yeah, titles so and cups and all of that out of it, Fan base, prestige, history, stadium. Newcastle yeah. would triple the size of Bournemouth. Yeah. Maybe more. So, yeah, anyway, that's another question. I just think that's the goal, right? Hmm. Like, it, it is, pre- like, if they were for sale in the Championship, you're probably talking 80 million, aren't you? But it's the fact that because they've but, got these parachute payments still coming in and out of the team where they can probably, if they go down next season, they'll be able to spend a ridiculous amount of money if the owner allows it. And they're probably looking at it that way, where it's a club that can come straight back up. I mean, even talking like this is the reason why football is broken. And fundamentally, finances in football are going to be looked at with a significant scrutiny in the next few years. Because 150 million, so we're saying that Felipe Coutinho is more expensive than an entire football club. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. When you break it down like that, you know, Harry Maguire, that's two Harry Maguires. That's an Anthony and a Harry Maguire. Manchester United have spent... £150 million this summer. I know they didn't buy Maguire this summer, but I guess my point is they've spent £150 million on players this summer. The players that United have, the six or seven new signings they've made, are worth more than the entirety of a football club. All of their players, all of the staff, the stadium, training ground, the lot. It's madness. You could buy buy 40% of Liverpool's back five for £150 million. Crazy stuff. Anyway, moving on. Denzel Dumfries, a Dutch international player, says he's flattered by interest from Chelsea and Manchester United, but he insists he is focusing on his job at Inter at the moment. He had a very good Euros for the Netherlands last year, Joel. I've spoken to a few people around Manchester United that say that they really admire him as a player. Would you like to see him in the top flight? Chelsea and United are the two interested clubs, according to the papers. I like him a lot. I think he's really unusual for a right wing back. He's so tall. He looks almost like the stature of a centre back. Yet he's got such um, intelligence in his game and really powerful down that right wing for his height. It's really unusual. But honestly, Diogo Dalot, Dalo, don't want to say that, Maggie Dalot. Uh, Dalo's really impressed me. He's actually converted me because last year I thought he was done at United. Um, following that Milan spell, I was thinking, you know what, £20 million is actually a fair amount for him if he wants to stay in Milan. And he is proof of a player who is desperately wanting to improve under a new manager and want to make a claim for himself at the club. And I have to commend him for that because he's just recently scored two for the Portuguese national team uh, just a few days ago. He could potentially be starting in the Euros, whether it's on the left or on the right. And... If I'm honest, I never thought I would say this, but I actually want to continue to see him improve on that right on that right back position for us. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, Eric Ten Hag for me has got an amazing judgment when it comes to players and who he wants in his side. I know that it was thought that he wanted another right back in this summer window, but I mean they spent a ridiculous amount, so fair enough he couldn't get one in. But I'm wondering now if Dallo is actually converting Ten Hag as well because he's actually not put barely a foot wrong so far and he's well ahead of Aaron Wan-Bissaka at the moment I don't even think he's going to get barely any games this season um, unfortunately for us and considering the price that Inter Milan will want whether it's like 40 million euros 45 million euros 
honestly, I'd prefer to just stick with Dallo and just see if he can continue improving. And I think that spell in Milan, obviously the most defensive country, like the defensive arts, he's probably learned from Maldini up above him, gone for those private sessions in the training ground, learning how to be dirty in the box and, you know, how those Italian defenders are. I feel like he's massively improved from that loan spell from when he actually went out. He's come back as more of a, a man. He's come back as a bit more of an intelligent defender. So I like to see him improved to be honest this season because I think he's really developing aspects of his game okay so Diogo Dallo stays rather than Denzel Dumfries come into Manchester United and give him some competition the other club is Chelsea Marley he says he's flattered by the interest but he's focusing on Inter is that a smart thing for him to say is he just saying that because will he be tempted with a move to the Premier League if it materialises I think everyone's always tempted by the Premier League purely because of the the money on offer and the uh, the sort of prestige of, of playing there. I think a lot of players look up to it. Um, but I think more than Dumfries will be might might be looking at it himself. But Inter will be looking at it as well because Inter have never missed an opportunity to have a Premier League club's pants down for the last five years. You know they've they've took Lukaku, you know took Lukaku from um, from Chelsea and then you know loaned him back and. Uh, that's one of the, the other best pieces of business I think I've ever seen in my life, you know. Yeah, I mean, selling him to Chelsea and then loaning him back a year later is is just chess when everyone else is playing checkers, isn't it? It's it's one <laughs> it's of those hundred million euros. Yeah, it's unreal. yeah, and obviously Interad Interad um, financial issues as well, and then to to pull off that piece of business has made them stronger as a club going forward for the next five years. I think so. Lukaku just agreed to be terrible for a season just to, <laughs> just to help into finance. Yeah, it was all it was all a ploy. Um, but yeah, Dumfries will be the same. You know, Dumfries is probably worth twenty five million quid, let's say, for just for argument's sake. And if Chelsea send an email or anything to to Inter saying you know how much would you want for him they're going to double it and add another 15 onto it and probably say you know what 65 will do it and then Chelsea with Todd Bowley will probably go yeah all right we'll we'll do that pay you double yeah we've got that type of money kicking around and it'll be the same um same as Cucurella because they've already got a wing back in Reese James they've already had a left wing back in Chilwell but they went and signed Cucurella anyway Mm. and they might go and sign Dumfries anyway so do they need him? No. Would they buy him if he came if he came available? Yeah. Todd Bowley, Tom Bowler. That's <laughs> yeah. what it is. Denzel Dumfries linked to the move to the Premier League. Will we see him in future? Just another one of those rumours on the back pages. That is it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. We'll be back a little bit later on today with Shots, our daily update from the Football Social Daily team, rounding up all of the news you might have missed in the top flight. But thanks to Marley, thanks to Joel. That is it for today. And we'll speak to you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.